Hello and welcome back to No Wonder. Okay, by now you might get the idea that I like controversial and pushy titles. Today it is to market the episode on the Hamline Index. But wait, whether you've heard about it or not, stay with me. You might learn something you didn't know. Let's start with a brief explanation of what the Hamline Index is. This index supposedly shows the correlation between the length of women's skirts and the hem and the economic context they're at. The headline index is often incorrectly attributed to the economist George Taylor in the 1929. Since his thesis that discussed significant post-war changes in the full-fashion hosiery industry, where he identified skirt length as one factor that led to explosive growth in the hosiery industry during the 1920s. For those who don't know what hosiery means, like me a few minutes ago, it refers to the industry that produces stockings, tights, pantyhose, however you want to call them. These garments are often worn under skirts. So I suppose that the rationale behind Taylor's thesis is that shorter skirts may have boosted the demand for tights among women. That's why the industry grew exponentially after World War I. At this point, the most plausible explanation is that the index might have been already a urban legend since its origins are not sure. Although it has been referenced by fashion journalists all over the world for decades now, very little empirical studies have been held to actually prove the accuracy of the Hemline Index. I will be referencing a couple of studies in this episode, and you can find a link to them in the description of the podcast. The Hemline Index has been used as a tool for understanding the connection between fashion and economy. The theory suggests that the length of women hemlines is an indicator of the state of the economy, with shorter hemlines during prosperous economic times and longer hemlines during recessions. The hemline index has been seen as a reflection of societal norms and attitudes toward fashion and economics. During time of prosperity and optimism, shorter hemlines may symbolize a carefree and daring attitude as well as a willingness to embrace change and new ideas. On the other hand, longer hemlines during time of economic hardship may reflect a more conservative and reserved attitude, as well as a desire for stability and security. In this sense, the changes in the hemline length signals changes in societal attitudes and values. The hemline index can also be seen as a reflection of the broader cultural context as fashion trends and economic conditions are influenced by a wide range of factors, such as politics, technology, and social movements. Let's see a few examples. Changes in trade policies, such as tariffs or embargoes, can affect the supply chain and the cost of producing and importing goods, which can then impact the prices of consumer goods or advances in technology can affect the way people shop and consume fashion. For instance, the rise of e-commerce platforms and social media has transformed the way people discover and purchase clothing, while innovations in manufacturing, such as 3D printing, can change the way clothing is produced and distributed. Also, social movements and cultural shifts can influence fashion trends and consumer behavior. For example, the sustainability movement has led to an increase in demand for eco-friendly and ethically made clothing, 
while the body positivity movement has led to a greater acceptance of diverse body types and a wider range of clothing sizes. But let's not get distracted here. There are several reasons why understanding the hemline index might be important. First, it's a predictive value. The hemline index could be used as a tool for predicting the state of the economy. If the index theory is accurate, it could provide valuable information for economic forecasting and decision-making. Secondly, understanding the relationship between fashion and economy. The index provides a unique perspective on the relationship between fashion and economy. By analyzing changes in the hemline length, researchers can gain insight on how economic conditions influence fashion trends, and vice versa. Third, cultural significance. As we saw, fashion is an important aspect of culture. The hemline index could be a window on how economic conditions may have shaped fashion over time. And lastly, historical context. The index has been used for over a century, providing a long-term perspective on the relationship between fashion and economy. Throughout history, there have been several significant moments where this relationship can be seen. Let's see a few examples to get a fascinating glimpse into the index's pragmatism. The Roaring Twenties. This period is the one George Taylor was talking about, that we introduced just before. In fact, during the 1920s, hemlines rose significantly, to above the knee, reflecting the newfound prosperity and optimism of the post-World War I era. This period is often seen as the beginning of the modern fashion industry and is widely recognized for its iconic flapper style. The clothing flapper style typically featured, other than the already mentioned shorter hemlines, dropped waists and looser, more comfortable silhouettes that allowed for greater mobility. Women's dresses and skirts were often designed to hang straight from the shoulders, creating a tubular shape that was more androgynous than the hourglass shapes of earlier eras. Inversely, during the 1930s, when the Great Depression struck and the economy was in a state of recession, the hemlines dropped to below the knee, reflecting the more conservative attitudes of the time. This period is also characterized by a more structured clothing style, such as tailored jackets and simple practical dresses that could be worn for both casual and formal occasions. These dresses were usually made from inexpensive, durable fabrics, such as cotton or wool, and were often designed to be worn with matching jackets or sweater. Overall, the fashion of the Great Depression reflected the difficult economic realities of the time, with a focus on practicality rather than extravagance and luxury. The 1960s miniskirt revolution in the 1960s, we saw a resurgence of youth culture and hemlines rose again to above the knee, this time in the form of miniskirts. The miniskirt was a fashion trend that originated in London and it quickly spread around the world. The miniskirt was a radical departure from the longer hemlines that had been popular in the previous decades. It was first introduced by the fashion designer Mary Quant, and was an instant hit among young women who embraced its playful, youthful style. The miniskirt was seen as a symbol of women's liberation and empowerment, and it was worn by women of all ages, including movie stars, musicians, and political activists. 
The miniskirt was also seen as a statement against traditional gender roles, as it challenged the idea that women should be demure and covered up. The 1980s power dressing. The 1980s was a time of economic prosperity and the rise of the working woman. Hemlines stayed just above the knee, reflecting the more confident and assertive attitudes of the time. This period is characterized by bold structured clothing styles and an emphasis on high-hand designer brands. Power dressing was seen as a way for women to assert their presence in the workplace and to compete with men on an equal footing. It was also seen as a way for women to express their individuality, to stand out in a sea of more traditional conservative attire. The power dressing trend began to fade by the end of the 1980s, as women's fashion began to shift towards a more relaxed and casual style. However, its influence can still be seen in fashion today, particularly in the popularity of tailored jackets and blazers, and the continued emphasis on confidence and empowerment in women's fashion. However, the story is not always this straightforward. In fact, from the article of David Gilbert from 2017, we see that in the wake of the 2008 financial crash, a new figure appeared in the form of the recessionista. The emphasis was on using an economic downturn to beat the system through investment purchasing of classics and by the use of antique and high-quality second-hand clothes. Above all, the recessionista claimed to substitute supposedly cruel boom-time conspicuous consumption with a subtle and superior fashion intelligence that worked by combining carefully selected high-hand clothes and accessories with limited use of fast fashion. In good time, fast fashion can be seen as a way to capture a larger share of higher disposable income by increasing the number of garments purchased by consumers. Most importantly, by providing access to a wider range of styles and continuing to develop expectations of wear far more clothes. The 2008 global recession and subsequent drop in disposable income in many economies were expected to slow this movement. However, the rise of fast fashion in those times instead demonstrates the difficulties of reducing fashion to demand patterns. Its rise has stretched both along the economic boom of the 90s and 2000s, as well as the subsequent period of recession and austerity, which goes against the old recessionista trend. But let me explain better. In booming economies, the pattern of accelerated clothing consumption and relatively inexpensive but highly differed styles can be seen as a way to maximize profits by speeding up brand and style cycles, which shouldn't necessarily happen in periods of recession. Yet, evidence from the post-crash period tells a very different story. Fast fashion proved to be a relatively robust market in countries where disposable income dropped significantly such as the United Kingdom and Spain, also outperforming other sectors. These patterns showed therefore a complex reaction to austerity from people that included price sensitivity, which is the degree to which customers are affected by the price of a product or a service, countercyclical binges, which refers to a phenomenon where consumers increase their spending on luxury goods and services during economic downturns. This behavior is sometimes referred as shopping therapy. 
and they maybe even showed carnivalesque dressing up. Traditional macroeconomic and microeconomic viewpoints do not completely explain the connection between fashion and economic cycles that are the patterns of economic growth and contraction that occur over time. Additionally, some more critical viewpoints on capitalism that aim to contest and curate the prevailing economic system have a tendency to ignore or downplay the importance of fashion. This shows that fashion, rather than being a major feature of the capitalist system, and its effects on society and the environment is frequently viewed as a secondary or peripheral concern in these critical conversations. But enough of these theoretical talks. I could collect a couple of studies that empirically tested the headline index. As expected, they don't come to a common conclusion. The first one from 2020 concludes by saying that there's not enough evidence to prove the index correct. Whereas an older one, from 2010, confirms the authenticity of the index, but precises that the index is backdated by three years, by the actual market fluctuation. This means that the index is not based on current or immediate market fluctuations, but rather on trends that have already occurred. So, changes in the hemline length that are observed today may reflect economic conditions that were present three years ago. This time lag is important to consider because it does take time for changes in the economy to be reflected in trends. For example, if the economy is doing well today, it might take some time for this to be adjusted, as designers and retailers need time to develop and produce new styles. This second study also analyzed the reverse relation. That is, whether the headline had any impact on the chronology at large the economy by using the NBER chronology, which refers to the official dating of the US business cycles by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Reassuringly, they found that no such relation exists. Not a current one, nor there are any lagged effects. Hence, a delay of the manifestation or a response to a certain stimulus, in this case, the economic shift. I would personally find it pretty concerning if the current hemline trends could have direct impact on the country's economies. To conclude, let me recap the main points of today's episode. The hemline index is most likely a urban legend used as a tool to understand the connection between fashion and economy. It suggests that the length of women hemlines reflects the state of the economy with shorter hemlines during good economic times and longer during worse economic conditions. The hemline index has been used for over a century as a way to understand societal norms. It provides a unique perspective on the relationship between fashion and economy and reflects social values, beliefs and attitudes and provides a historical context for the evolution of fashion. Throughout history, there have been several significant moments where the relationship can be seen such as the 1920s flapper style, the conservative 30s, the miniskirt revolution of the 60s, and the power dressing of the 1980s. However, in today's world, the handline index has become less reliable as a predictor of the economy, as fashion trends are influenced by a wider range of factors, such as policies, technology, and social movements. Allow me to make an assumption now as final thoughts. 
knowing that we cannot currently prove the efficacy of the index due to contrasting research, and knowing also that in some instances, the return to purchasing of classics and use of unique and second-hand clothes was correlated to a downward-facing economy. Isn't this the same trend we are seeing right now? Surely the raising popularity of thrifting is also pushed as a rebellion to the unsustainable and unethical fast fashion industry, currently devouring our planet and people. However, it is still a plausible correlation. What do you think? That is all for now. But please, if you learned something from this episode, subscribe to the podcast and to its social media accounts. Please share the episode as much as you can, but most importantly, keep the conversation going. Thank you so, so much for joining me today and see you super soon. Bye!